0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, Joining us here on a Tuesday morning for the CIO Strategy Snapshot. Glad to welcome back Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Trejo. So, Jason, thank you for dropping by. Great to be with you as always and looking forward to our conversation. Hey, good morning, Dan. So, Jason, I know you're joining us this morning to talk about your recently authored blog. A title is On the One Hand, and that blog, by the way, is available now for our clients listening in up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Though it was interesting, Jason, within the blog, you do mention how that we've entered the most challenging economic environment to forecast since early on in the COVID-19 pandemic. So why do you believe that is?
1: So the recovery stage is fairly straightforward. We had the benefits of very stimulative fiscal monetary policy. Now that policy is reversing, and on the, fiscal, on the monetary side, it's reversing very quickly. We have a natural moderation of growth rates that were very strong last year as we move further into the expansion that's going to take place. But on top of that, now we have this question of you know of high or high inflation, certain uh, ending prices rising rates. all this is going to impact you know, the economy in different ways. The question is, is how much? And so a key point would be, for example, on consumer spending. We know when prices are going up, it impacts people's ability to consume a broad range of goods because they might be more on, you know, filling up their car, buying food. So that should have negative implications elsewhere. But it's also the case that people have built up excess savings over the past few years, and estimates put it up still $2 trillion of sort of excess savings that were built up since the pandemic began. Uh, that's a lot of money that could be spent provide some sort of buffer as people's you know, real incomes are declining because wages while going up strongly are not going up as fast as inflation. There's also issues still on the supply side that are difficult to kind of calibrate. You know, The supply chain bottlenecks you know, are easing you know, gradually, but it's sort of in fits and starts. Uh, and how long will it kind of take to get back to sort of, sort of a new normal? You know, this could be another year. So there's uncertainty still on the, on the supply side of the economy of how things are playing out. So you add this all up, there's difficulty in sort of understanding what's exactly going on then to compound the factor or the matter is that there are issues just with the data itself. Uh, there are seasonal adjustments that are made, which in you know, normal years might not be a big deal, but since there's such huge variations in volatility in the economic activity caused by the pandemic, caused by lockdowns and reopenings, those adjustments can be harder to interpret. Some of the data is survey-based, and survey response rates is lower now than it has been pre-pandemic, which means that the quality of the data is, is worse. We're also seeing large revisions. In the month after data is released, so people on the markets react to the data when it first comes out. It might be below expectations. Subsequent revisions could bring it back to your expectations, but that's sort of often kind of downplayed. So you just have you know more difficult or noisy data to interpret, unclear questions in terms of you know how things like high inflation, energy prices, rising rates are impacting the economy. Uh, and just to give you know two examples from the data from last week, on Thursday we had uh, you know personal spending data came out. Uh, In February, it declined uh, 0.4% from January. But this is due to a 2.1% decline in real goods spending, while as real services spending went up 0.6%. So the headline number suggests consumer spending is declining, perhaps being impacted by inflation. But the details also say that there's a real shift between people buying goods to buying services. And this is important because part of the transition to normalizing the economy is people stopped buying so many goods, which were excess of demand the past two years, and start buying more services like travel, leisure, entertainment, things of that sort. So that's actually a good thing that you know, that would be happening. Similar on the, the ISM Manufacturing Index came out on Friday. It was a bit of a big story. The, the overall reading was 57.1, down from over 58 uh, you know, for February. So still a good number, still elevated by historical standards, you know, but it declined more than expected. And the new orders and production indexes fell to the lowest level since May of 2020, and the inventory index increased. So, you know, on the one hand, this might be a bit of a yellow flag for a slowing economy. On the other hand, some normalization is just it's natural and actually sort of building up inventories and having sort of less sort of production bottlenecks, that actually could be a blessing in disguise because that means inflation pressures come down. So when you look at this, it's a bit of a Rorschach test. You can see some good things. You can also see some bad things. But all of this means this is a really challenging economic environment to forecast, and it's hard to have much conviction.
0: So, Jason, within the blog, you go on to state that another complication to assessing this cycle is that there are extreme imbalances between demand, which can be characterized as very strong, as well as supply, which can be characterized as constrained. Uh, Both of those attributes apply to the U.S. labor market and the housing markets, as well as in commodities. How does this all affect the outlook, Jason?
1: So this is a little bit different than the point I just made. Which are more sort of cyclical in nature in terms of like the production cycle in the economy and the ISM, you know, rising and falling. These are the more structural, long-term sort of imbalances that are that have been built up over time. And what it means is that there's just extreme differences. And therefore, as you try to interpret, like how is this going to impact the economy, it just it's a little bit harder. So, to take an example, you know, in the labor market, uh, the jobs report on Friday, we saw the unemployment rate fall to 3.6 percent. This is only one-tenth of a percent higher than a low uh, prior to the pandemic when it fell to 3.5%. Uh, but another measure you know, indicates that the markets or the labor market is even tighter than that. There are an estimated over 5 million sort of excess job openings versus the number of people in the labor force looking for work. That 5 million-plus gap is the largest it's been since World War II. So in some sense, the labor market hasn't been this tight in 75 years. Uh, now, that's part of the reason why wages are going up. Uh, and it's also a reason why even if the interest rates rise in the Fed's tightening policy, there's so much excess demand for labor that even if that cools a little bit, all it might do is bring labor demand and labor supply into balance. And that actually, actually would be a good thing. The risk of this is anytime you try and get sort of cool in the labor market and get a little bit more slack, when the labor unemployment rate rises by half a percentage point you know, over a few months, you in the past 75 years, we've never seen then it just stop there it's always continued to rise almost a two full percentage points or more, and it's associated with a recession. So the idea of trying to get a soft land in the labor market has always been difficult. At the same time, we've never had a labor market this tight. So that, again, like how do those two forces balance out, that's difficult to assess. We look at the housing market. It's been on fire for the past couple of years. Prices have been going up. Now we're finally seeing interest rates and particularly particular mortgage rates go up. The 30-year mortgage rate, sort of the national average, is up over 150 basis points since the start of the year. That's impacted housing affordability. It's certainly going to impact people's willingness to buy homes. It's going to cool housing activity. It might deal with some concerns about housing prices fall. But at the same time, similar to the labor market, there's an extreme sort of mismatch between the demand for housing and the supply. Just on the demand side, you know, a good measure is how much sort of inventory is in the market in terms of the months for sale. And historically, it averages around six months of sort of housing inventory that could be depleted based on normal sales patterns. Now it's less than two. So there's just very little supply. Uh, there's not that, I mean, the supply is ramping up, but due to supply chain constraints, it can't ramp up that quickly. So we can't really fill the gap that fast. At the same time, there are demographic trends. You know, millennials that are now in their prime home buying age, uh, so a huge demand from them. The work from home trend is still going on very strongly. So people want more space. So there's a demand for homes there. So even as mortgage rates have gone up, All this might do is sort of bring the market a little more back into balance between supply and demand, which will mean price appreciation is more moderate, which is a good thing. Um, But it also doesn't curtail sort of overall housing activity and sort of be a drag on the economy. So how that sort of balances out, again, looks, you know, it could be okay, but it's uncertainty. So these sort of extreme imbalances, you know, in some ways favor the ability for the Fed to raise rates. And that could be, you know, supportive of, of not having a recession or having a soft landing. You know, but it's also typically when rates go up, this does have a negative impact. So balancing those two factors and sort of trying to assess how it's going to play out, that's complicated.
0: So, Jason, I'm I'm curious how these considerations might be translating to the activity we've been witnessing within financial markets. So with all of this uncertainty about the economy, which scenario do you think is actually being priced into financial markets?
1: Well, I think if we want to think about the macro scenario, it's kind of the growth and inflation environment. And I'd say if you look certainly in uh you know at the rates markets for your know, treasury yields, and even look at the equity markets, the recent performance, really what they're pricing in is, is an environment where growth will be you know, fairly resilient. It might moderate, but it, you know a recession would be avoided. Inflation will stay high for a while, but will gradually kind of moderate, you know, certainly beyond five years. Uh the market is pricing for the Fed to hike up to almost nearly three percent by the end of next year, and then by twenty twenty four actually cut rates. So if you look at the, the what the market's pricing for Fed rate hikes, it's actually quite similar to what happened in 1994 and early 95. And that hiking cycle, the Fed raised rates a total of 300 basis points in 13 months. Uh, there was two 50 basis point rate hikes in that cycle and 175. We might get two 50 basis point hikes in this cycle in May and in June. So there's similarities there. The, the rates market is basically pricing in ultimately kind of a bit of a soft landing, so a fast pace of hikes, a bit of a you know kind of cuts later on, but still relatively optimistic scenario. Yet inflation stays high. If we look at equities, you know the S&P is only down about four percent from its year to day high at the start of the year, despite the fact that we have a war going on in Ukraine. We've had the Fed turn much more hawkish, uh, and we've had inflation exceed expectations. So to me, that all kind of collectively implies a relatively you know optimistic medium-term scenario. Uh, so I mean, if, if it turns out growth slows much more rapidly, the market isn't necessarily priced for that. So I think the risk is skewed more to the downside, certainly for equities at this point in time. Uh, not significantly so. We, we think it's more like kind of a range bond market, but I think the risk is more skewed to the downside. The other thing going back to rates is that if growth turns out to be okay, but inflation stays high, chances are the Fed's going to hike even more than what the market is currently pricing. So instead of hiking rates to like 3%, they might go to 3.5% that would pull the rest of the, the treasury curve even higher. So the 10-year probably goes even higher. And that scenario, you know, you can see a 10-year at 275 or 3%. Uh, you know, certainly by next year, that's definitely a possibility. The flip side, if growth ends up disappointing, you're going to see probably rates decline because Fed rate hikes will be priced out of the market. So you'll see the front of the curve decline. That would be negative for equities. So in the near term, I think the market is priced sort of, sort of a little bit more optimistic scenario, but it's sort of balancing those two. Um, but there's more upside for rates of growth, ends up being resilient, and then there's downside if it turns out that growth ends up disappointing. I think equities would sort of you know follow correspondingly.
0: So, Jason, with that clarity, now the question really becomes: Well, what is the investment outlook from the vantage point of the chief investment office based on this economic and market assessment that you've shared with us?
1: Well, in an environment where there's sort of you know low conviction, you tend to get. Uh, about, you know, about the the macro, you tend to get also, you know, low trading volumes because people don't want to put on long positions. They're not willing to say to take, you know, uh, uh, you know, make large directional calls. And that's kind of how we are right now. And that environment, you tend to get, you know, higher volatility instead of big kind of moves in the markets. So even though things have sort of bounced back, you know, quite comfortably in the past four weeks, you know, I think we're now almost getting a little bit complacent about the implications of, you know, the war in Ukraine. We're back to levels where we were prior to Russia invading Ukraine whether you're looking at the S&P 500, European equities, uh, you know even the ruble versus the dollar is kind of, at least on paper, has kind of come back quite a bit. I mean, you have to put some qualifications to that. The VIX fell below 20. Credit spreads are back to those levels. So I think there's, there's a little bit of complacency there, which means sort of negative news that we get on the growth front uh, or inflation. You know I think what all that would be, you not surprised in the market. So we're going to see some, I think, more volatility, also more range trading. Given sort of this, you know, uncertainty in the markets, I think the bias among investors seems to be more on the, the cautious side, or maybe a little more pessimism. We would lean ultimately that probably more along with the view that I said in terms of leaning towards at least a soft landing or, or at least, you know, a rocky landing, but not a hard landing. Uh, so still see upside, you know, for equities, you know, for the rest of the year, but, but modest upside. So, you know, a positive outlook. But I think in the very near term, as we sort of sort through these things, it's a market that's going to be relatively kind of range bound and volatile. So I think they you know, don't sort of take false comfort in what we've seen in the markets for the past month because things could reverse you know, very quickly. You know, if earnings guidance for the rest of this year turns out to be poor once companies start reporting Q1 earnings, that could also lead to some sort of pullback. So I think it's just going to be a choppy period for at least the next couple of months. Ultimately, sort of you know, more upside for equities uh, as we kind of work through this and we start to see the macro environment is going to trend towards stable growth and inflation moderating. But to get to that end point, it's going to be a challenging road ahead, at least in the next couple of months.
0: Jason, very thought-provoking conversation, and we will see how conditions play out in the weeks and months to come. Though, thank you again for joining us here, Jason, on the CIO Strategy Snapshot. Appreciate the insights, as always, and wish you a nice balance of the week. Thank you again for dropping by.
1: You're welcome, Dan. Take care.
0: Today, we've been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on ubs.com forward/CIO including of course the blog which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation today that title on the one hand. Again, for clients of UBS, please reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of that blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.